Sometimes you feel like you've been somewhere just because of the photos that you've seen of that place, and that's the case today. Today, Trey Ratcliffe returns as we discuss documenting Burning Man. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. This is the podcast where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between. I've got a great guest today. Real quick, a little housekeeping stuff, please. Always remember that the shows that we do, there's an associated blog post over at BehindTheShot.tv where you can read about the guests that I have on the show. You can see some more of their work and find all the links to follow them on social media, check out their websites and projects, etc. So for today, I've got a return guest and I've got to say that of all the shows I've ever done, there's one show where about halfway through the show, I started saying to myself, "Uh oh, I'm in over my head. And that show was with this guy, Trey Ratcliffe. How are you, Trey? Well, that makes two of us. I always feel like I'm in way over my head. I think, how did I get in this situation? And then how do I get out of it unscathed? That's most of my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's survival is really what it is most of the time. The first time that you were on, we discussed this amazing image of yours of a museum in Paris that was a multi-shot HDR pano that was is still one of my favorite images I've ever seen of yours, in all honesty. Uh, and you sold it as fine art. And I think that series sold out, I think you told me at one point. Um, if you have not seen that episode, go to BehindTheShot.tv or listen to that episode. Uh, look for the links and you can find all the links to, to download and watch that episode. Today, I want to just kind of recap a little bit about you and get into your shot about Burning Man, because Burning Man is a fascinating subject to me, which we'll get into in a second. So first of all, you are New Zealand based, and I think of you as a travel photographer. Is that kind of how you describe yourself? I guess so. You know, nowadays it's so hard to um, pigeonhole or categorize oneself, but I do know it makes it convenient for people to get uh, sort of Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some kind of description. Unless you're Rick Salmon and you just yeah. your description is I specialize in not specializing, right? Uh, yeah. Your website, yeah, but I do love traveling and taking photos. I love the stimulation, and of all the places, of all the traveling you could do, Burning Man is always a favorite destination. See, and what I said at the beginning is true, and I, I don't want to spoil the shot until we get to it. But what I said at the beginning is true. There are there are places you feel like you've been at just because of the pictures mm. that you've seen. And to me, that's really what your pictures of Burning Man are. But along with Burning Man, you've got pictures from China and you've got pictures from Antarctica. You used to post an image every day. Do you still do that? I still do that. It is the albatross I lovingly wear around my neck. Um, but I find this is a personal thing. You know, I think you get to know yourself a little bit better every few weeks or a few months or a few years. I find that if I don't create a little something every day that I can become a bit nihilistic. So it's almost a bit of a therapeutic thing. I jump on the blog and I, I might write two or three blog entries because I kind of queue them up ahead of time so that they, they keep landing every day while I'm traveling. So I enjoy it. And it's nice. You know, it's actually not too different than what you and I are doing here where you pull up a, an old photo, you know, maybe it's a few weeks old, maybe it's a few years old. And you kind of reminisce on the photo. You think, ah, oh, yeah. So you, I put that photo on my blog and I just write a little bit. Sometimes I might tell a whole story, you know, a few paragraphs. Sometimes it's just three or four sentences. But it's kind of nice to revisit these, revisit these scenes. And it, it's an excuse for me to go, because God knows, like, what, what, what was I doing in July 2015? I don't know. But when <laughs> yeah. I go look at my old photos, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was there. And I kind of can remember it. I have happy memories and I write a little bit about it. So it's sort of like a happy uh, meditative thing for me to do every day. Well, the other thing I find is that sometimes pulling out your old photos, and if people don't do this, they really should do it more. Sometimes pulling out your old photos, either just to look at them or even for that matter, re-edit them with your mindset of that day can be in, uh, incredibly inspiring to the art that you're creating at that point in your life. Sure. I've always been this fan of um, and a proponent of editing photos out of order. I think a lot of people put undue pressure on themselves right after an event or right after a trip to edit 100% of those photos. And then when that's done, you can go do, do new stuff. But editing things immediately is a fairly arbitrary time to edit it. 
And so I like leaving old stuff. I have stuff from seven, eight years ago that I haven't edited because um, it's a fun to go back and B now eight years later, I've got way more skills. I've got much better tools, a lot more experience. And so now I can edit those photos better than I could have eight years ago. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like that idea. Now, of course, you're known for your HDR stuff. You don't, not every shot you do is HDR, but you're known for your HDR stuff. First HDR image to be hung in the Smithsonian was yours, which do you ever, does that ever still make you pinch yourself like I'm in the Smithsonian? Well, I'm incredibly averse to awards and recognition. Um, I find it all to be a little, um, not that awesome. A, I think, you know, and hopefully a lot of the audience knows that I'm an egoless person and I don't take myself seriously. Right. And having awards and having first place in subjective competition seems counterintuitive, uh, to me. Uh, I like it insofar as it's inspirational to other people. I think that's, that's a good aspect of it. And you're right. So most of my stuff is HDR, but I almost had this other class of photos in Burning Man. Now I have, um, several more photos in the Smithsonian and they're actually, uh, all Burning Man photos, which is sort of a very different style. And, you know, I get all kinds of negative feedback and good feedback or just weird feedback. You know, some people say like, you know, Trey, I don't really like your photography, but I love your Burning Man stuff. That's great. So <laughs> you always kind of get these backhanded compliments, yeah. you know, they got to get a little dig in there. Like, oh, okay, well, thanks, I guess. But see, what you say about awards is interesting to me, uh, and I completely agree. They can be great from an inspiration point of view and from letting people know, look, anybody can do this, really. But art is subjective. And the main thing is, whatever you're shooting and whatever point you are at the creativity in your life, right? We were all beginners. We were all intermediates. And hopefully someday we'll all be more advanced. But whatever point you are in your art, make that art. And make it for you and hopefully other people enjoy it, but really make the art that you want to make. Yeah, well, totally. You know, and I think a lot of people get tricked into thinking about how important uh, contests and competitions are. When I moved here to New Zealand, you know, I don't really say many negative things. I'm a positive, loving dude. You know, I think love is the answer, man. Yeah. You we'll get more to that in Burning Man later. But I will be a little critical of competitions and clubs. So when I moved here to New Zealand, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to join all the local locals, you know, let them know I'm one of them. And so there's this group called NZIP, the New Zealand Institute of Professional Photographers. Okay. I was like, all right, well, so I went to a few club meetings and met some people, nice people, you know, but there's this big thing, like this big competition where everyone goes to Auckland. And, you know, of course, you have to pay a membership fee to be part of this esteemed right. organization. And if you meet certain criteria, you get the NZIP certificate of authenticity, which you can display proudly on your website. So other people know that you have met this somewhat arbitrary set of preconditions. Most preconditions require you paying monthly dues. Anyway, so you get into these competitions and you have to pay sometimes 50 or 100 bucks to get your photo in. Right. You can submit up to. 10 photos. So you have the right to spend an additional $500 and they have to be mounted in a certain way. And, you know, it can cost like 20 or 30 bucks to mount them in a certain way. And so you put them into this competition, right? Every, everyone. So they're, they're prints. They're not digital. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Physical prints. Okay. Because they're really into like uh, the craft of it all, which is fine too. I I think the craft of it is fine. Now, anyway, so we get all these young photographers in different categories, you know, wedding, landscape, blah, blah, blah. And people can spend $500, $800 on the, this stuff. And then uh, it goes onto these walls. And then like I was a judge one time, you go in all these judges, you could give me these scores. And, and then, you know, maybe you get like a bronze or a silver or a gold, or you get like a silver with distinguished value. Right. And then, so they put all these things on and they have pictures of all the judges there. And they are these, these, you know, guys and gals, and they have these, these sashes, like these Klingon battle sashes with all these like, like awards. It's like, the, you know, it's like the Masons or something. It's right. like Scientology. And they're all, what I figured out is they're all just dumping money into this thing and they're all just giving each other awards so that they can say they won awards, but it's a completely fabricated fictional system. 
Right. And then, of course, like 80% of people aren't getting awards, but they just dumped, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into the system. Um, so they feel bad. They've lost a lot of money. The people that got the awards, they feel good. But again, it's just like, it, it's just, a, I don't know if you've seen snakes mating. Yep. Snake, when snakes mate, there's like a 20 of them and they just make this ball and they just kind of like roll all over each other. It's like it snakes can be, mating. It can be a friendship patting each other on the back thing really is, is, is it. Um, yeah. And I, I don't, I don't think it's good because really your audience is not photographer. Photographers spend way too much time trying to impress other photographers. Your audience is people outside of the photography world. Right. Photographers all, and judges, they have all their own baggage they bring into it. Um, you know, if they don't like something, uh, if they're, they're working on their own stuff, they don't like something you're doing. Maybe they don't understand what you're doing because what you're doing is so innovative and they've never seen it before. So you're like, Oh, I don't like that. That doesn't really fit in with what I know, but you might really be onto something. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Actually, you just made an analogy that struck me and that is because magic is the same way. So many magicians try and learn magic tricks to impress other magicians, but a lot of those Mm -hmm. won't impress a layman. And sometimes it's the, it's the simple, regular card slights that every magician goes, oh, he did that. But laymen are shocked by it. It, You know, you got to understand your audience. You work with two companies I highly respect, uh, Peak Designs and Skylum. You have worked with and for companies like TEDx and Google and and Air New Zealand. And I want to mention that you are also very, very free with education. You share your processes. You do blog posts on everything that you do. You do photo walks around. So people need to follow you and, and head to your workshops. You travel a lot. Uh, all the links are popping up underneath as we're talking. If you're listening to the audio version of this, I, we will mention all the links at the end of the show, or you can go to the blog post, behind the TV. So let's get into this shot because... <clears throat> I Okay. In my head now, I've got 14 sentences coming out at once. I've never been to Burning Man. And I could be completely wrong on what Burning Man is, and I don't care. Because my my vision of Burning Man is your gallery, your portfolio of Burning Man shots. You have an ability with Burning Man. It's un- unlike, you know, a photo of a museum, right? You're capturing at Burning Man a lifestyle. And it's it's some of those pictures to me that that make me feel more than any pictures I see anywhere that make me feel like I am standing there. And this shot happens to be one of those. And and I've got the shot up right now. Um I, I'm gonna for the people on the audio feed, let me try and describe this thing. It's a Victorian house. But the Victorian house is actually on wheels. And I want to give credit where credit is due here. Obtanium, Obtanium Works, which is ObtaniumWorks.net, made this house. It's an actual house on wheels. In the scene at Burning Man, it's all deserty dirt. And there's a guy taking a picture with an 1898 Kodak bullseye camera. And your assistant actually sent me the guy's name and I reached out to him. Uh, his name is Samuel. Uh, what is it? Uh, Cogniglio. Yeah. And people, you need to go look this guy up and I'm going to put his contact information up when I, I put up the shot in a minute, but this shot is just so perfect to me for burning man. And what shocked me was that's a real camera and it's working right here. Right? Yeah. This Camp, you know, there's different camps. We could talk about the, you know, the texture of Burning Man and what makes it up. But they're different camps, and and they have uh, a theme. And this camp is all about uh, steampunk. And if you don't know what steampunk is, steampunk is an alternate future in which electricity was never invented, and steam technology kept improving over time. You know, we stopped developing steam engines and steam technology as soon as we discovered electricity. But what if we had never done that? What would that future be like? So that's that's what this that's the definition of steampunk. Yes, I never knew that. Eh? Okay, so yeah, right. That's why steampunk. You see these beautiful futuristic cities, like with blimps and Hindenburgs going around instead of airplanes, and um, and you see like mobile houses like this as sort of 
uh, pre-Victorian house. And everyone in the camp is in full costume, you know, uh, period, futuristic costume, as is Sam. And they're totally pure, you know. These are the, that's what I love about so many of these Burning Man camps is just the absolute dedication and purity of it all. And so this camera that he's using is actually a real camera. It's not like a, 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 a prop. Um, it's a real working camera. He has the same kind of love for photography that we do. And he's a real student of all pre-electric photography. So Sam Coniglio, and it, what's fascinating to me is you, you said the word prop. And when I first saw this image, I thought how cool that people come with their own props, right, for Burning Man. And I emailed back and forth with Sam. It's not only a working camera. He explained to me how he got this thing working, which was fascinating in and of itself. It's basically a jury-rigged, you know, 1898 Kodak to, to make it work with today's technology. And he actually sent me the photo. He's in this picture. He's taking a real photo of that Victorian house. Um, the house is called Never Was Hall. Again, it's by Obtanium Works, obtaniumworks.net. And I want to show real quick the picture that he was taking. And his contact info will pop up here. About.me slash Spaceman Sam or on Flickr, he's Spaceman Sam. This thing took this real photo. I just think that that's absolutely one of the coolest things on earth that he's doing that. Explain to me the camp system, because I, I actually did not know about that. Yeah. So, um, and one of the things that it may not be evident in my photo is that rolling Victorian house is actually a house. It's got a bunch of rooms in it and hang out in there, hang out with your friends, sleep in it's it. It's that big? Also, yeah, it's pretty big and it, well, it's not huge, but you can, you know, you can hang out there and roll around the desert and uh, you can, anyone can jump on at any time. There's probably, actually there are over a thousand art cars out there rolling around the desert and at Burning Man, everything is free. So if you see a cool art car, you can just go up and ask to get on and everyone says yes. And you roll around for a while, make some friends, jump off and then get on another art car, roll around and make new friends. Um, just fantastic. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, and every, every art car, sometimes like our camp, we're Camp Walter and we have six art cars. Uh, we have giant VW buses and all sorts of things. Is there a theme uh, for Camp Walter? Yes. Our theme is just peace and love. Um, just that simple. Just be nice. And well, everyone is nice. And, there. and what are some of the other camps that are, that are there? Well, camps can range in size from just, you know, three people to 25 people, 100 people. A few camps have up to 500 people. Um, and they all have different sorts of themes. Um, some are, you know, like yoga themed. Um, some, you know, might have like a sexual theme, like a BDSM theme. Right. So, some might have like, a, you know, dance theme, like EDM kind of stuff. Um, others, uh, might be into, uh, you know, meditation and, and these sorts of things. Um, man, you just name it. There, every pot, there's like probably 10 to 20 different, like gay themed camps where they all do different things. You know, one of them has like a human car wash because you get dirty. You get to walk through the human car wash naked and you get all soaked up and cleaned off and you come out sparkly clean on the other side. Um, but a lot of people don't go, you don't even have to be part of a camp. A lot of my first two years I went alone. And, uh, so a lot of people just go alone and with friends and you, you still get to experience all the camps. Um, you know, after you're there, everything is free. You don't have to pay any money. So you can just kind of wander into any camp anytime and they'll give you some food or margarita or whatever and make some friends, walk around, get some hugs. It's a very free loving, awesome place. When you, when you're surrounded by 80,000 artists and creatives that want the best for you, uh, it's just such a, such a wonderful place. I, I am curious. I got to follow up on something. Cause this is, again, this just fascinates me. I've always wanted to do burning man. So I am kind of curious. Do you get to choose that you want to be in camp Walter? Do they, I mean, how does that work? Well, you end up making friends over time. If you're a, a friendly person, you know, <laughs> everyone there is quite friendly and you know you just end up clicking with people for whatever reason and 
they'll, you know, if they like you, you they might introduce you to some of their, their camp mates and maybe they'll invite you the next year to join their camp. Or you can always ask. Um, you could also start your own camp anytime. Um, and it, it's not at all like fraternities or sororities. There's no like elitism. There's no right. like us versus them. Uh, they're just, it's kind of fun to have a group of people because it is a harsh environment and it can be very testing physically, mentally, spiritually. So it's nice to have a little camp, a little safe space to come back to, you know, with a little fire and some right. warm food and some chairs and blankets and you can kind of like hang out. And it's nice to have a home base because when you decide to leave your camp, when you leave your vortex to go out into the wild world of Burning Man, it just is it, scary is it the right word, but it can be like unsettling and off-putting. And it's, it's just nice to know in the back of your head, you always have a little home to go back to. So photography wise, Burning Man is such an unusual environment and it's so visual of an environment as well. Does that, does the fact that it's so visual and there's so much that could be subject matter, does that in some ways make taking photos harder or is it, you know, because there's overstimulus in that sense, is it easier? I mean, in other, in other words, in a space like Burning Man, what are you looking for photography wise? Right. That's a good question. It is overstimulating visually because there are so many artistic options. But I roll around and I just wait for stuff to emerge. Like I, one thing about this photo, which I don't think people realize, which is the same as all my photos, really, is that I don't set these things up. Like I had known Sam for two or three years and I had taken pictures of this rolling Victorian house and some of the characters there for years. And, you know, he's a photographer, I'm a photographer. So we kind of know each other. Right. So usually around the middle of the day, I jump on my bike and I just start rolling around. I'm like, all right, Bernie man, what are you going to serve up for me? <laughs> and so I, I rocked up here like literally 15 seconds and I go, Oh, there's Sam. What's he doing? He's taking a photo. I go, I'm going to take a photo. I'm taking a photo. So I jumped off my bike I kind of got my settings how I wanted. I'm like, let's get him in focus and everything else a little out of focus. And and uh, he's not posing or anything. I was just letting him do his thing. I, I don't pose people. Um, I almost never pose people, partially because I don't know how to pose people. And everything that's happening there is so organic. And when people are in their element and they're comfortable with their own sense of self-expression, and they're moving around the earth and the desert the way that they want to, the way that they feel at the moment it makes it really easy for me. And I'm able to see these truths. I'm able to see things when they make sense, when things have a, a beautiful, nice composition. Um, so this photo is indicative of almost all my photos in that I just roll around. I wait for something interesting to pop out of the desert. I think of like Burning Man as this random event generator where you never know what you're <laughs> going to see next. And I love that. That's one of my, my favorite things about it because very few places in the world where you go and just have like a random event generator. And you know, whatever you see is going to be interesting. And a one, of, the, and a one of a time thing, most likely. Right. This will never happen again. Uh, never. What, plus, what, what did you oh, shoot sorry, this go, with? Go ahead. No, uh, I was just wondering, what did you shoot this with? Oh, I don't know. Um, here, let me click on the metadata and see. I use a few different cameras there. Um, oh, I shot this with a Sony NEX6 with a 18 to 55 millimeter lens at F4, one two hundredth of a second. Now, the camera really doesn't matter too much because it, it can be kind of rough on your equipment. I actually have written, and I'll link you to it, a Burning Man survival guide. Oh, that um, would be good. And it's, yeah, it's not just you, like how do you survive as a human being out there, but how do you, how do you get your equipment to survive the whole week? So I usually take a variety of cameras and when it, when it's a little dusty, when you get snowstorms, I take out my, my lesser cameras. Like I might take out, this is kind of an older Sony that I took out, or I might take out one of these weatherproof, uh, Fuji's, but when the weather's nice, um, I might take out my Sony a7R Mark three, or I've taken out my Hasselblad a few times. The weather isn't always terrible, but in the middle of the day, when I do a lot of the shooting, any camera will do. Like, honestly, this is a cropped sensor, right? The NEX is like a four or five year old camera. Um, I shot an F4, so there's not any great lens on there. But as you can see, F4 is fine. It's, it's great. 
like he's in focus. Everything else has a soft. Well, and that's actually one of the comments I was going to make was I, the settings you chose here to me are actually perfect because not only is he in focus and fine, his whole face is front of his body is the camera is the Victorian house. The never was hall behind him is not so soft that it's unrecognizable, but you've got the depth, right? You've got that, that 3d effect. Do you ever, I mean, even if it's nice out, isn't it still kind of dusty? I mean, can you change lenses walking around or do you do them back at your camp only? You can change lenses walking around. There is a, a little fine cloud of dust out there all the time. Um, but I don't mind getting my sensor a little dirty. You just clean it later. It's not as, I think photographers can be a bit precious with their equipment. I mean, so it gets a little dirty, big deal. Just it's a tool. Clean it yourself yeah. afterwards or go spend 50 bucks and have a professional do it. Big deal. I mean, it's nothing. Compared to the price of a plane ticket to get somewhere, what's an extra fifty bucks yeah. to get it cleaned afterwards? That's a that's a good analogy. Do you walk around with anything other than your camera? I mean, do you carry a tripod? I know you've used a drone there before. Yeah, I carry on quite a, quite a bit. Um, maybe one extra lens. Um, I might take a water bottle around with me because uh, it gets you can get a bit thirsty out there. Uh, so depending on the time of day, I might take another water bottle that's full of a, a mobile gin and tonic to keep the happiness going. There you go. Um, I might, um, I usually do have a drone with me also, although using a drone there is more and more difficult. Um, you have Why to is that? A, a license. They're real, they're real, uh, which I under, totally understand. They're, they don't give out many, I think maybe like 20 drone licenses or something. And they're quite strict. Like you can't fly over people. You can only go up in a vertical column. Uh, so it may, it kind of limits your creativity in a way, uh, but I take it anyway because it's you do get some cool photos with drones. Um, yeah, and then I usually take lights in case I'm out until nighttime because you have to have lights on, uh, sort of a requirement so you don't get run over. Um, so you're talking lights yeah. to light you up. You're not talking lights for your photography. Yeah, so so that I'm lit up. Um, I also take around my phone. I know. You know, phones don't really work that well out there, but mostly when I get photos of people, um, like randos, right? Your chances are you may never see them again, and they want the photo, and I want to give it to them. So I just make a short video on my phone, and I get them on camera. And I say, hey, what's your name? They go, blah, blah, blah. What's your email? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, thanks. It's a little 30-second video. Then I get back, and I've got like 50 of these videos and I get to see the person I'm like, oh, I remember that person. That's their email address. Good to go. That's it's like smart. a great note taking system. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really, really smart. There's, you know, in looking through your portfolio, even just trying to pick an image for, for, for this chat, I could I, I literally could have picked 50 images and it goes on and on and on. So one day I'm looking through with my wife sitting here and no joke, I lost hours just scrolling through going, Ooh, look at that one. Ooh, look at that one. And I noticed a commonality to me in your Burning Man images. Well, actually a couple of them. First of all, a lot of your Burning Man images have a, a look and a feel of film. And, and it, mm. I, I'm guessing it's, it's something you're doing in post maybe. But the other thing I noticed, and I want to bring up some of the other shots is your images of Burning Man. And I think this is why they, they define Burning Man to me. Your images of Burning Man have just an amazing ability to accentuate light. And so let, let's bring up, there's the one that, that Sam did, that he was taking. Uh, and again, I want everybody to see his contact info. But then this one of the, the two ladies, or actually three people it looks like, looking up and all you see is the feet mm, right. of the big statue. And that picture, you've got this brightness behind it, and it just accentuates everything uh, about the subject matter. That you get the big shadow. The one, one of the other ones I love is the girl on the bike riding in front of the words "love," mm. and it's the same kind of an idea where it's this, it's hot in places, and it just really accentuates the the character of the light that you might get at Burning Man. Same with the one with the word earth and all the people. Okay, so th this one I got to ask you about. The word earth, you've got the really nice blue sky and the really nice sand and the people are sitting on the letters or in front of the letters looking at you. Was that posed? 
Well, <laughs> that's kind of a funny story for that one. Well, let me back up before I tell that story. So my first year there, I've been eight years in a row. This will be my ninth. I walked around for a day or two, didn't take any pictures. I was like, man, what's going on in this place? And I had all these goggles. They were sort of orange tinted. They were kind of steampunky goggles, and I wore them all the time. And so everything had this real orange tint, and reds would like really pop. It would be super electric. And then sometimes I would take off my goggles and look at the real colors. I was like, oh, well, these are also interesting. Um, so then I went back and I started taking photos and I started to try to recreate my, the look that I was seeing through the goggles, which had sort of this Mad Max 300 kind of super warm filter. It's like, oh, okay, this is interesting. You know, this is, uh, I like this because it makes it look even more otherworldly. So then I started like actively making many different filters, not just orangey sandstormy filters, but other sorts. And then as I would walk around and look at the lighting, um, the thing I realized is that not only is the sky super bright, super white, but also, you know, we're all used to a nice white softbox above us or super bright, direct, white, hot sunlight. But one thing that we're not used to as photographers is that same color light coming off the ground. Oh, right. We've all had reflectors. We know how reflectors work. But what if the entire ground was a reflector? Well, that changes everything, really, because now you're getting like, you know how a ring light is kind of crazy. It lights everything. This is like a earth light. Like you have white light coming from everywhere. The, the sand itself is this white sand. It's almost like a powder, really. It's more like Johnson's baby powder than sand. It's that it's fine. Kind of, it's very fine. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a, uh, it's got a little bit of a brown orangey color. So the, the light that bounces off the ground has a little bit of warmth on it. So that's, it gives everything a little bit of a warmth in there too. So you already have this sort of natural weird film thing going on. So you see this in that photo with the, the two ladies looking up at the, at the Colossus statue. Um, now this one with the earth one, that game changes at sunset and night, right? Where you light changes, obviously. Uh, but you, even at dusk, you still have this, uh, soft light coming off of the ground and lighting everything. So I was walking by this earth, um, statue as the, you know, letters E A R T H. And then these five gorgeous women walk up to me. They saw me taking photos and they said, will you take our photo? I said, absolutely. You picked the right guy. Yes, please. And, yeah. And, and they were, you can see their outfits. They're all dressed amazingly. And I'm like, hey, guys, like, is this how many Burning Man's you been to? They're like, this is our first one. I was like, well, you guys are pros. And it turns out that they were all uh, models, you know, German, Scandinavian, South American models. They were all super sweet. And I said, why don't you guys just go on a letter each? And so you don't have to teach models how to pose. They know how to pose, right? They just do it. This is one reason I do like working with models that do know how to pose. And even beyond models, I think people that are just normal people, muggles, they, they know how to pose too at Burning Man. They're just so natural with their own sense of self-expression. Um, they're not awkward. Um, and this sort of thing. Anyway, so I got to be friends with these five gals. We took more photos, this sort of thing. Um, I showed them my portfolio and stuff. They said, Hey, you have to come back to our camp. There's a hundred more of us at my camp. And it was like this camp, full of like a hundred, <laughs> like at least six foot tall, Eastern European models and South American models. And they're all beautiful. And they were dressed, they had incredible outfits. Um, but also they weren't bitchy. They were like the nicest, like they had this burning man. They were like, they gave hugs. They were sweet. They were like in the meditation and consciousness and mindfulness. And they're doing yoga and they're going around to different events and, they're also cruisy and they're so nice and, and they love like a, everyone loves having their photos taken, but especially them. So that was, that was kind of a fun little jackpot situation there. And I've, I've found this generally in life is that, you know, if you're just nice to people, uh, and loving, um, like people invite you to go do some great things. Um, and of course it's not all about beauty and like having good DNA or whatever. Right. Uh, but it's just, it is sort of a fun, fun little side thing, I guess. One other picture that I have queued up 
is I don't, I don't know how to describe the one. It's bluish and there's all the lasers shooting at what looks like a giant planet and some bikes with the lit up tires. And this is actually, I almost picked this image to talk about today too. Um, but this is the one that is the actual thumbnail chosen for the Burning Man gallery over at your Smug Mug site. The, right, again, it, say again? Yes, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. It's just amazing. It's, it's oh, truly, and this is the example that I mean. Your shots from Burning Man manage to take the light that's there, your shots really from anywhere, but and and elevate it to a different level. So let's let's go back to the shot that we're talking about because I want I, there's a couple things in this that are interesting to me from a processing point of view. Same thing, you've got the brightness in the middle but it's not too bright. It draws your eye to the guy's face which is perfectly lit up, which is actually interesting now that I think about it. Cuz that house is perfectly lit up. The never was hall and his face is lit. Did you use a flash on this? No, I never use flashes. Okay, all right. Um, Because his face is so beautifully exposed. You've got a vignette on this, which really draws your eye into where you want it to be. You got the house at the upper right rule of thirds, photographer at the lower right. I mean, there's there's a number of just standard photography rules here. Uh, You've got the horizon right in the middle, but this beautiful effect of his head and shoulders coming above the horizon, the car going below it. There's just so much here. What would you have done what would you have edited this in and what would you have done to this shot? Well, um, I, I usually the very first thing I do is I do a crop. You know, I think this ended up being a bit more of a four by three crop. Um, which Are you a stickler on that? I mean, do you try and stay with the standards or you just crop whatever the picture tells you? Yes, yeah, whatever the picture is telling me to crop okay. it. Um, yeah, for sure. And then... Well, actually, I probably ended up with like 10 different photos of this scene. You know, I'm, I'm a little click happy because I don't really know. Right. But I, I can tell something's interesting is happening. Um, and like I even have some pictures of him behind the camera trying to aim it. Um, then so I kind of have this fun process where like, OK, which of these is the most interesting? And I like this action shot. We're not exactly sure what he's doing. Um, most the most important thing in in these photos is mystery. Like you're not sure what the heck is going, you kind of have some clues, but I like to give it people enough clues that they can work out the mystery on their own, or at least most right. of the mystery. So I like that he's in action. Um, you know, I, you know this about me. I was born blind in one eye. I still only see out of my left eye. And so I've come to kind of navigate a 3d world in my own way. So I think I've naturally been good at composition and how to place things. Um, uh, like I knew I wanted him to have separation from the, uh, from the vehicle. So I try not to have overlap. And it's kind of a fun thing at Burning Man because you do have this sort of white background. So I like things to kind of stand alone. So there's a little bit of breathing space between the main subjects. Were you so aware of the guy on the bike on the left? Um, I was loosely aware of him. And I'm good enough at Photoshop, and I didn't do it here, could have. I could have taken the right side of the photo and swapped it over to the left side of the photo, kind of reflected it so that it would be totally clean. Right. Right. To, in a way, to me, that's almost a little too much manipulation. Totally um, agree. I, yeah, I actually they, think, yeah. I think the bike and the stuff on the horizon on the left, not being on the horizon on the right. Uh, I think yeah. again, that adds to foreground subject, midground subject back all of that stuff. I'm curious with your eyesight, how do you compensate for understanding depth in a photo, three-dimensional depth in a two-dimensional medium when you don't see three-dimensional with only one eye? Well, I actually have no way to answer that question. I, I, I understand how 3D vision works. I think what I do, and maybe it's a trick, although it's a trick I think all photographers know, even ones that see perfectly well with two eyes is to have objects that are the same size, repeat themselves into the distance. And then when people look at a 2d picture, their brain can extrapolate out what the Z depth of it is. So obviously the object that repeats itself into the distance here is a human. All humans are about the same size, you know, average five, eight, five, nine. 
And so you see this guy here and you see other humans in the distance. You're like, oh, okay, I know about how far away it is. So that plus having it be a little bit okay out of focus, you, get, you, you also get the idea that it's a little bit distance. Um, like you said, I try to get down low, uh, a little low. Um, I try to get, there's, I got this great tip from a photographer friend in, in Tokyo and he does a lot of street photography and he always tries to take his photo from the uh, standpoint of a, like a 10 year old, you know, there's a little shorter. And when you're a little shorter, everything seems a little bigger, a little more grand. You know, when you're a kid, every, everything seems giant and kind of fantasy like. So with all of my photos, I try to go down lower. Like I'm not at my normal height, right? I, I go down a little bit lower and it makes, it makes humans, grownups look a little bit more heroic, a little larger than life, like giants. You're kind of looking up at everything with a little bit of wonder. Uh, so that was a lot of the perspective of the shot. And then I got it back into Lightroom and I have like 50 presets, you know, that I've built. Uh, we sell some of them. Uh, some I'm still working on aren't sold. So I just click around the presets, sort of a lookbook, give me some ideas. And this one is quite desaturated. Uh, it's a little heavy on the teals, right? We push the, do a little cross processing here. So we take the, the, uh, the blacks and we push them a little into the uh, teal category and the darks and push them a little into the orange category. Uh, a lot of it's overexposed. Like there's some pure white in here, right? Which also gives it that sort of film feel uh, because a lot of times you look at old film stuff, the stuff is not perfectly exposed. There could be stuff that's overexposed or underexposed. I tend to go over because I think it's cool. Uh, and obviously, you know, I know how to do HDR. I know how to use all these tools. I can make it so that everything is perfectly exposed. But that's a little boring, you know. It's a little too traditional, I think. So I like to kind of zag a little bit because it's it's more interesting to me. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned the teal in this. One of my favorite colors is actually a, a Pantone 320, which is kind of like a, a teal color. And that may be why I'm so drawn to this because it's one of my favorite colors of all time. I love this. If, if somebody were to be going, I'm not saying I am, although I want to really bad, somebody going to Burning Man for their first time. Mm. I guess there's two questions here. Would you recommend that for the first time visit, forget the photography and try and just enjoy it? But let's say hypothetically, they are going to take pictures their first time there and you could give them the main tip or main two tips, what would that, that be? Right. I, well, I do think if people go, they should take photos the first time. Um, I would say go with a buddy. Like either you both go as virgins or go with someone that's experienced. Um, it's be a little hard to go by yourself. You know, it's good to have a buddy. Um, I recommend not going with your partner. Like if you're married or have a girlfriend or boyfriend to go with them. Because... It can, it can really be hard on a relationship um, just because it's hot, um, scary, weird. You don't know what you're doing. Um, you have to take all your own food, all your own water, all this kind of stuff. And that it can, not, not that it's bad to go with that person, but you both have to be used to it. You got to be in, in the zone and you have to be good travelers. Good. I've seen it cause a lot of tension and cause problems. Um, and that can get in the way of the photography and the enjoyment of it, right? That's why you're going, you're going to enjoy yourself, see a lot of cool and maybe come away with some cool photos that those are the goals and meet cool people have great experiences. Right? So I think that's the most important thing is either go, go, go with the right person. Like, you know, you and I are both travelers. You know what it's like to travel with an energy vampire. No good. That's the most important thing. So once you're there, I would suggest that you, uh, sleep mostly during the day. I prefer to sleep like 4 a.m. until about noon. Okay. That's my, uh, that's, that's my normal schedule anyway. <laughs> right. Because there's stuff happening all the time, but that's when the least stuff is happening. Okay. And there's these apps and guides you can get that show you all the things that are happening all over the playa. Like maybe on and kind of you plan out ahead of time. Okay. So you're like, okay, Thursday, this happens every year, Thursday at 3 PM, there's the bunny March. Okay. And there's this kind of, you know, fallout type radio station. They're called BMIR, black, black rock radio. 
So everyone meets outside of this radio station, you know, as a camp, the radio station camp, and they're playing weird songs, interviewing, talking about weird stuff that's happening on the playa. So bunnies start to converge there about 3 p.m. And it's probably 10,000 people dressed up like bunnies. Um, and they have all kinds of crazy bunny outfits like you've never seen. It's about 50-50 guys and girls. And then starting at 3 p.m., they do the bunny march. And it takes about an hour. And they all hop from the radio station to the man who's in the middle of, of Burning Man. And they're marching to protest humanity. It's bunnies against humans. It's all very silly, right? And there's music. And yet I need um, to see it. <laughs> right. And so like, it's, and then what happens at the end is that animal control comes out. Okay. There's actually a thousand kids that go out there every year. There's like black rock scouts. And so they're all dressed up in all these red jumpsuits and they come out and all these kids try to catch the bunnies with these giant nets. And as soon as they catch the bunny, they have these giant syringes that are full of vodka and they, sh they shoot the vodka into the bunnies mouth to cure them of their hatred of humanity. Okay. So this is just like one of like a thousand crazy events. So you're like, I want to see that. So you show up at three o'clock with your camera, you run around, and take photos, you follow them on the march, you see all this crazy stuff that's going on. All right. And then maybe three hours later, there's this big uh, quote fight in the desert and they have these big dump trucks come out. And there's a thousand people on one side, a thousand people on the other. And they throw out like a, a thousand of these, uh, you know, these pool noodles. Like there's a, there's a thousand neon green ones and a thousand neon orange ones. And they have this kind of brave heart standoff. And then a, a big horn goes off. And then these two lines of people run at each other and have this massive sword fight in the middle of the desert. So there's honestly hundreds of things like this happening all day long. So you kind of plan it out ahead of time. So like, I'm going to be here then, be here then. So you try to maximize your photo ops as much as possible. I, I, I have to do this sometime. There's just no question I have to do this. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming back on. Just Sure, of course. It's always such a joy to talk to you. What do you got going on that people need to know about? Any workshops you want to announce or? A few things. Uh, one, I'm about to go on a 10-city art tour through the U.S. and Canada. Um, so check our website for that or sign up for our newsletter. I'm doing uh, like two-hour art events in these 10 cities where I, uh, you know, I share art, I share stories. It's very inspirational. I talk about mistakes I've made, things that I'm going so through. So is it just an art show or you're actually standing up? It's a presentation. Yeah, it's a presentation. Okay, cool. There's Q&A and mix and mingle, that kind of stuff. Um, so those are going to be fun events. Uh, I just uh, launched a book about... Oh, your Instagram stay, book. Yeah, it's really about how to stay zen on social media. Um, and it's a very fun, good book. It's been well-received. So I, I think that book can be very helpful to people. Um. And I'll have a link what to else? the book in the show yeah. notes, by the way, so people can go to BehindTheShot.tv and find the link to the book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we got that going on. Um, we have, I'm going to spend about a month in Africa. We have a fun workshop that's happening there. Uh, so Yeah, just kind of goofing around. Most of your stuff, though, if people go to StuckInCustoms.com, they can find all of that, right? Yeah. The best thing really to do is go to StuckInCustoms.com, sign up for our newsletter, I think we send out one every week, one every two weeks. And I get them. It's all the news and events and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, sign up. It's a good time. Oh, we also just launched today a new photo contest on ViewBug. Even though I said I was against photo contests, I'm good with ViewBug because it's just kind of a fun social thing. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't cost any money for you to join contests, which I think makes it nice. Yeah, the only and limit is you can only enter so many a month or something like that. I'm a ViewBug member too. Yeah, so. right. Oh, yeah, we love Ori. And we have a pretty cool grand prize. Um, you know, we're partnered up with these Peak Design guys, and they have a new travel tripod. It's a really cool tripod. Oh, the new one. Yeah. That yeah. looks so like the, literally uh, the coolest thing. Yeah, it is cool. And so that's the grand prize is the carbon fiber version of that. And there's other good prizes on there, too. So I encourage everyone to come out and do that. And, God, what else? Okay, one last thing. Actually, we could do a giveaway if you want to to your audience. Sure. Um, as part of this book, I was asked by Australia's top Instagram influencer 
I hate this word influencer, but, but anyway, she's actually a really nice lady. Her name's Lauren Bass. She has about half a million followers. And she, she was like, Trey, there are no good online courses for how to be uh, a real influencer or how to build real influence. Let's make one. So we met in the Gold Coast and we filmed uh, six videos. And so now there's an online course that's available. It's great. Like it talks about how, like how to be an influencer, like how we make money from doing it, uh, tips and tricks, uh, like counterintuitive things, mistakes we've made. It's super valuable. Uh, it's only 99 bucks, but, um, yeah, let's do a giveaway to some random member of your audience, some random commenter or whatever. Okay. Make sure they get that new course. So what we'll do is, uh, if you've made it this far through the video, you're going to know what to do. All you have to do is comment on the post for this video, either on Instagram or reply to it on Twitter or uh, comment on it on Facebook. Comment on the original behind the shot post. So if it's shared by somebody, I'm, I won't see it if you comment. Uh, comment on it. I'll pick a random one to to win the, the course. That's awesome. And can you, can you uh, send me the link so that I can put that in the show notes too? Yeah, I'll hook you up. No problem. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you very much. So you got a chance to win yourself uh, entry into this online course on on how to be a better influencer, how to become an influencer on Instagram, which I think is absolutely awesome. In fact, you know what? We should just limit it to the Instagram post since it's Instagram influencer. Okay. Yeah. Cool so it's got to be the in- Instagram post. The, 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 behind the, the Instagram for the podcast is Behind the Shot TV, at Behind the Shot TV. So go there, watch for the post for this episode comment on it. We'll pick a random winner. Trey will give him one of the entries into this class. I think that's awesome. Thank you so much. Watch for his workshops coming around. And again, stuckincustoms.com and everywhere on social media, you are Trey Ratcliffe everywhere, right? Easy to find. Trey Ratcliffe all over the place. Easy to find. Trey Ratcliffe. Uh, So make sure you find him. Again, Trey, thanks so much for coming by again, man. You bet. Thanks for the invite. Really appreciate it. So here's the deal. Make sure you head to BehindTheShot.tv. I will have a blog post associated with this episode there. You'll find all the information that you need, BehindTheShot.tv. You'll find more information about Trey. I will have all the links in that blog post as well. I do have a favor to ask. If you like this episode, if you like the show in general, if you're subscribing through a podcast app, all the links that you might need are on the the website behindtheshot.tv. But if you could do me a favor and just run to iTunes, drop a star rating, drop a review, it helps with discoverability. And I'd really, really, really appreciate it. We got a lot of great guests coming up. I've had a lot of good ones recently. So do make sure that you subscribe. Again, I'm Steve Brazel. This is the podcast Behind the Shot, where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots and we'll see you on the next show. 